1: Okay, Roger's up next. Good morning, Roger.
0: Yes, good morning, Bob. Good morning, for sir.
2: Taking my call. Thank you for calling. I got a few questions. Try to make them quick. Okay. The first one is on: um, I have uh, orange trees, um, and I have a real red uh, grapefruit that I'm getting little white sacks uh, up and down some of the branches, and I also this morning found it on um, a tangerine. Uh, I knock them off. They're pretty slimy. Um, what can I do to get rid of that?
1: Probably is some sort of uh, uh, some sort of insect. Probably some sort of scale insect. And I would be looking at one of the best things you can use is neem, E E M. It's one of the more effective things. Now, think about neem oil. It's derived from a Brazilian tree. It's a totally natural product, but it does not keep. I always tell people when you get neem, you know, mark it, put the date on it, the day you open the bottle, and throw it out after six months because if it's been sitting on the shelf for too long, it's not very effective. But neem is a safe product. It's both insecticidal and fungicidal. The other thing that you might – try on it uh i've had very good luck with a relatively new product out there called spinosad soap spinosad is a natural insecticide that takes care of a wide range of insects the insecticidal soap that it is blended with uh it does a very good job of smothering and getting rid of some very hard to control things like white fly and such as that so um i i you know either order i probably would try the Spinosad soap first and realize that these little and i suspect they're some sort of scale they look pretty much the same dead as they do alive now you'll know they're dead if they stop being uh squishy and they just turn to sort of powdery and crumbly dry but i'd probably start with the Spinosad soap and then if you need to follow up with something use neem uh, the other thing I would do is I'd look carefully at your citrus. Be sure the root flares aren't buried. Something is stressing those trees at least a little bit, or you probably wouldn't be seeing these insects on them in the first place. So I'm going to check my watering. I'm going to check the whether or not the root flare is buried. I'm going to look at other possible stresses that could be leading to this problem.
2: All right. They, these are white sacks, and they're slimy on the yeah. inside, and they'll follow the one branch now it isn't all over the tree yeah it's just one branch and these and, are the
1: size uh, of probably a match head
2: um uh, probably an eraser pencil eraser and you can flake them off uh, you, you can take them in your hands and you really get mm-hmm. slimy but you can take a, a board or a brush and 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 knock them off um and they don't seem to come back if you knock them off
1: mm-hmm. but i suspect tree. i suspect it's something called cottony cushion scale Um, that's a little bit bigger than I normally see, but cottony cushion scale, you see it on citrus, you see it on pitosporum and, um... Uh, short of I mean get a magnifying glass if you can blow it up I think you will see tiny little legs up toward the front end of it and they have a piercing sucking mouthpiece that they're 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 not going to be a fatal issue with the plant but uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm virtually certain that uh, that this is the insect that you're looking at on there and the spinosad soap or the uh, and the neem both should be effective in controlling it um, if you look carefully you'll Finally, you'll probably see the very young forms, which are actually crawlers that move about on the limb, and then they mature, they mate, they settle down in one spot, and go into a reproductive mode. Hmm. Okay. Well,
2: I'll try that spinosad and uh, see yep. how that it's works. It's spinosad very soap,
1: cool. not just spinosad, but spinosad soap. It's uh, soap. Yeah, yes. it's uh, it's a combination, that. and uh, it sure works well on a lot of things. I think it'll take care of these guys for you.
2: Okay. Uh, Another question, uh, Loquat. Yes. (laughs) Can I trim a Loquat or prune it? It is now about 10 feet tall, about 12 feet around, and that delicious fruit is all over the top as well as the bottom. <laughs> um, can I next spring cut about four feet off the top of that tree so I can get to
1: them? You can certainly cut the tree back. What you want to do is be sure that you don't take away more than 40%, 50% of the foliage at any one time. We don't want to cut it down to just a skeleton, but we, you can certainly reduce the size of a loquat um and if you want to get to all the fruit you're going to have to do that uh, most of us just let the birds have the top part and we get the bottom part <laughs> but uh, you will not hurt a loquat by pruning it as long as you don't remove an excessive amount of the foliage at one time
2: uh, and I'll still get fruit off it uh, that year
1: they bloom in the fall so you've <laughs> got to do this pruning really this time mm-hmm. of year so they'll have plenty of time to put on new wood which can mature and then bloom in the fall prune late summer, you're really reducing your fruit crop the next year. You prune mid to late spring, um, you're not going to affect next year's crop at all.
2: Okay. Well, that's producing a crop right now yeah but um
1: it's always, because uh, we didn't have a super hard freeze this winter when we occasionally get that 15 degree winter uh it freezes all the fruit that formed in the fall and we go for a year without uh-oh. any of the little as they call them chinese plums but uh probably eight years nine years out of ten you you're gonna have uh, plenty of flowquat fruit out there
2: yeah <laughs> the other question they got um we, uh, I'm originally from upstate New York, up in Chattagay, where they grow commercial potatoes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I used to sell them fertilizer. And up there, um, they would use H1616. I, I I know that's not in your book. But anyway, uh, so we moved down here several years ago, and we put in raised beds and growing different things. I decided to even go back to growing some potatoes. Mm-hmm. So I made a raised bed. Um, We got several loads, maybe 15 loads of um, mulch off of the road. The companies say clean up alongside the road, and they would dump it in my pasture. Mm -hmm. And now it is all down to a fine mulch, most of it. And so this year I made a mulch pit with it two feet high, filled it in with that mulch, planted potatoes, and evidently there's more nitrogen in that than anything else. So I've got potatoes that are about 24 to 30 inches high. That is the stalk. Um, and that isn't what I want. I want it to uh, grow potatoes in, in the ground, of course. I don't see any buds yet, which indicate that it's producing uh, potatoes. Right. What fertilizer do you have down here that we can put on potatoes but it
1: doesn't i grow excellent potatoes and any of the good organic products like medina's growing green mushroom Texas tea nature's creations premium lawn food uh these are all things Uh, that grow very Must must grow what i'm sorry
2: has to grow has to grow as
1: has to grow as a liquid um right With uh, the others that are dry, you only have to fertilize, well, put the fertilizer down when you plant or before you plant, and then fertilize with your liquid has to grow once or twice a year. If has to grow is your only fertilizer you're using, especially in a very high carbon uh, medium like you have there. Uh, you probably ought to be using it every two weeks. Now, you don't have a lot of nitrogen in it. I can promise you you have very little nitrogen in there.
2: Well, I haven't put anything on it. Nothing yep. at all.
1: And, and these things, uh, they're just using up all of the nutrient that was stored in those chunks of potatoes that you planted. When did you plant your potatoes?
2: Uh, probably five, six weeks ago.
1: Okay, yeah, mid-February is normally when we're going to plant, and Mm -hmm. um, you should be, I mean, take your finger and start probing around the base of the plant. I think you will find that you've got nice little new potatoes developing, um, the white potatoes, uh, Irish potatoes, whatever you want to call them, um, they produce all of their potatoes very close to the base of the plant, unlike the so-called sweet potatoes and yams. And so I would suspect you start probing around the base of those plants, you're going to find probably some little ping-pong-sized to golf ball-sized potatoes. You can remove a number of those and enjoy them at any point. And then toward the end of the growing season, which potatoes is usually June, you dig up those plants and you'll find a number of larger potatoes right at the base of the plant but you don't want to see flowers on those plants you want to see them growing as much as possible you want to see all the green foliage you can because they're going to put that energy into forming the potatoes down in your growing medium now some people like to quote bank their potatoes uh, add soil to the sides of the plants i've not found that it makes much difference but i think you'd be surprised i think you out there your index finger is going to find some nice little developing potatoes there but i'd be using something like that has to grow every couple of weeks uh, to keep the plants healthy and to increase the size and number of the potatoes that form.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Well, appreciate it. Oh, well, one thing to mention, I, I heard you're, you're talking to uh, a gentleman about uh, potatoes storing them. Um, a lot of times up there, we used to, I guess you would call it uh, flash freeze mm-hmm. uh, bacon potatoes because that makes them sweeter.
0: Well, and, I
1: did uh, not know that, but flash freezing yeah. destroys the eyes, the growing eyes, and that's what oh, it makes them sweet, boy. They, yeah. uh, um they
2: make delicious, but you can't, you don't want them to freeze. Just put them in real cold for overnight, and then take them out, and boy, they are delicious. It changes to starch to sugar.
1: Exactly, yeah. You no, know, it just, okay. it, it, you just, you can't use them for seed potatoes if you do that, but it sure does no. <laughs> make for a good evening. All right, it's going to be Renee and Kim and Joe is, and Renee's up first. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. Good morning. Uh,
3: the first question I have is, what was the last name of the author of that Wildflowers of the Texas Hill Country book?
1: Enquist, E is in Edward, E-N-Q-U-I-S-T.
3: Um, the first thing I wanted to ask about you told the lady about the blue bonnets, and mm-hmm. I wanted to plant them. I live out here in the country, and i you said, go to the wild seed farms in Fredericksburg to correct seed yes um, and when is the best time to plant to throw the seeds?
1: We typically plant about uh October. Um, I think they'll probably tell you September, October, November. Um, we, I I'm usually going to be saying mid October to mid November is what I consider the ideal time. Now I have people that come back and say, but the plants dropped the seed in June. And that is true, but our problem that we can have and have you know, every so often, is that if the seed goes out in June, then we have a wet July and August, and then a very dry fall, the little seeds sprout, and then the plants die because they don't have the continuing moisture. When we plant in October typically we're going to get if there's any time of year that we're likely to have consistent soil moisture it's through the fall and winter months and that way they you them in october they germinate in november they form this little rosette of leaves that's uh, the first stage of their biennial life and then when it starts to warm in the spring then they put up the flowers and the whole cycle starts over again so typically october's my planting month i think into early november is still okay
3: well, um, then you just throw the seed out. I have a very large area. You just throw the seed out and absolutely, it'll
1: up. Okay. absolutely, and remember that you're just getting them started. They're going to increase in numbers. And talking uh, uh, and and I think they recommend that if you're planting acreage, uh, that you use like 20 pounds of seed per acre. He said, but that's just a fraction of. When Mother Nature produces seed, when they go in to harvest the seed and they have special machines they use to harvest the seed for blue bonnets, I think he told me they get about 400 pounds of seed per acre and they figure they get a third of it. So that means Mother Nature is planting it at the rate of 1,200 pounds per acre to get that look that you see up around Willow City Loop and down south, some of the really places that we we can have years where the blue bonnets are just so spectacular so you plant whatever the budget allows and each year if the conditions are right mother Nature's going to produce uh, perhaps a hundred times as much seed as you planted and the the show just gets better and better it's all weather dependent as as is most of life in south texas right for better or um, worse <laughs> the other thing
3: to ask was I have two crepe myrtles they're about 10 years old and 20 feet tall but they never bloom and I wanted to find out what I need to do
1: are they in full Sun absolutely all day every hour Sun
3: yeah they are
1: two things Uh, check the base of the plants to be sure that root flare is exposed Uh, about 99.9% of the crepe myrtles that are sold in the industry are planted too deeply in the pots when you buy them and they wind up many times even deeper in the ground pull the soil back, cut away any little fibrous roots that you find until you get down to that root flare, which could be six or eight inches deep in the ground, and then just kind of pull the soil back gently around that so that you have constant air circulation over that lower part of the stem and the upper part of the root area. That alone usually solves the problem, but uh, the other thing that will help is to uh, just use a good, uh, organic fertilizer. I would use it in January. I would follow up with another dose in April or May, and you almost certainly will get good flowers that summer. But that exposure of the root flare is the does more than anything else I've ever seen to increase the vigor of the plants and consequently the amount of flowers.
3: Do they require a lot of water?
1: When you first plant them, yes. Uh, on an ongoing basis i would plan once they're established i would plan on giving them a thorough soaking once a month Uh, they will survive with less than that but if you water them every three to four weeks let's say with a good soaking you'll get a lot more flowers and a lot more vigorous plants they can survive drought but they don't like it and they don't don't bloom well in a drought condition
3: Well, my last question is, I would like to plant an Esperanza. I do live here in the country, and we have deer. Mm -hmm. Will the deer eat the flowers?
1: If you have a reasonable number of deer, no. If you are overrun with deer, yes, they will eat the plant. They will eat the flowers. Um, My business partner planted one on the side of her house initially, Uh, She screened it out the first year to keep the deer away, and after that, I don't think they ever came after it again. So you probably need to protect them early on, uh, but in the long term, probably not unless you just, you know, have an excessive deer deer herd. Okay.
3: All right. Well, that was it, and thank you very much.
1: It's my pleasure, Renee. Very good questions. Thank you for the call. Okay. uh, Let's go ahead and talk to Kim. Good morning, Kim
4: good morning morning um i have a couple actually like maybe three my list kept growing <laughs> um, one thing i was gonna say you, you the the spray that you're recommending a lot now um the spinosad with the
1: spinosad soap the yes in it. Uh-huh. yes
4: i i couldn't find that at some of my local nurseries so i just got online and i had it in two days so if people can't find it it's Easily available on Amazon.
1: or Oh, you know. good. And the other that thing that is so good to know, for the first couple of years it was on the market, it was available only in that pre-mixed, ready-to-use, in that little hand sprayer. It is now mm-hmm. available... Um, in, in a concentrate, which makes it much less expensive if you have very much of it to use. A little bit less convenient because you have to mix it yourself, but uh, goes a lot further if you want to mix it up in your own sprayer. I don't know if you're going to find that online yet or not, but in your in your better nurseries that are carrying the things they should carry, you'll also find mm-hmm. the concentrate on the shelves, too.
4: Right, and I live here in Galveston and Tom Thumb will almost always order anything that they don't have. and sure. then Sometimes I find that all of a sudden they start carrying it, so that's kind of cool.
1: Well, and tell them them to call BWI. That's probably their principal supplier. I don't think Adams. I know Adams sells to Houston, so um, if you were to go up, uh, you know, there are probably going to be some nurseries in Houston that will have it on the shelf. But, you know, if you're in Galveston, you probably leave town as seldom as possible.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Um, How long, once you mix that, and actually this is one of my questions, That and BT, once you mix them and you have them in your sprayer, how long will they keep once mixed?
1: If you're using distilled water, uh, it probably is several weeks. If you're using city water, not nearly as long, even well water... Um, even drinking water, the spring water and things like that, the minerals and things in there can play havoc with the active ingredient per se, but where you're using clean distilled water, you will extend the shelf life, but I still wouldn't try to keep it, uh, for a real long period of time.
4: Okay. Um, now my main question, I don't want to make sure I get this one in our kumquat tree is just getting defoliated and the leaves are completely disappearing all the leaves the leaves that are on it are are green and they look fine they're yellowing and there's but we get up the next you know and it it seems to be happening at night Mm -hmm. and i think it's caterpillars but we even went out last night and looked and there was nothing on it um i I told my husband yesterday to spray it with bt which he did Uh so but what else could it be if it's not caterpillars
1: do you have cut ants in the area?
4: I don't know. I don't would would there be? I don't have any ant beds in that area. Well,
1: it's but you. You would see. have to go searching for the bed, and it could be several hundred feet away. Uh, the Texas oh, okay. leaf-cutting ant is an ant which doesn't eat the leaves, but they cut the leaves, carry them off, put them in an underground chamber, and then they feed, um, you know, on a fungus that grows on the leaves. Now, are your kumquats? Do they have a distinct stem, or are they bushier?
4: No, it's more like a tree. Okay. And it has, a st- it has stems, and the leaves are just like one whole stem got defoliated night before
1: last. And the, the leaves are gone, right? You're not gone. seeing them on the ground. Okay. No. start. You, you did the right thing. Uh, well, I guess you did the right thing. Uh, the, the sad, the bad thing is the caterpillar that eats the leaves of citrus makes an absolutely gorgeous swallowtail butterfly. So uh, if it were mine, I'd spray two-thirds of the tree with B.T., and I'd let the caterpillars have the rest because uh, it's just a butterfly that's worth preserving or protecting. But if it is caterpillars, uh, B.T. will totally stop the damage. If it is leaf cutter ants, they are much harder to control. It involves finding the mound, and call me back if you find that. We'll, we'll talk about ways to do it. But here's what you do if you have leafcutter ants. You go down to the main trunk of the tree. You wrap a layer, or probably four or five layers, of either plastic wrap or aluminum foil around the trunk of the tree. And then you buy this product called TangleFoot. It Mm -hmm. is the nastiest, stickiest. uh, I think it was originally developed to keep birds from landing on surfaces. But it is, I mean, it makes axle grease look like hand lotion. But you then take a tongue depressor or something, and you spread about a two-inch wide band of this. You don't put it directly on the bark. You put it on the foil of the plastic wrap that you've put on top of the bark, and the ants simply cannot crawl across it. And that will stop them from going up the tree and stealing the leaves. Typically, if you go out with a flashlight you will see the ants, you will see a trail of ants carrying off little pieces of leaves. If it is the caterpillar, um, we call it the bird-dropping caterpillar because it looks like bird poop. It's a black-and-white caterpillar that you would think... Uh,
4: right, I've, I've seen that on, I saw that on my Kiss You last year. Is there a reason why it would only, there are five fruit trees in that area. Is there a reason why it's only targeting the kumquat?
1: It's, they only target citrus, and kumquat is one of their favorite citrus. they you know, so many moths and butterflies, their their larvae can only eat one thing. In the case of the Gulf Riddleria, it happens to be the passion vine. In the case of, uh, monarchs, it's, they're like three different things the prickly ash, the milkweed family. Um, the, uh, black swallowtail always targets rue and parsley as its, uh, principal and dill things, uh, uh, the genetics, the biological makeup of these things have just gotten so specialized, they can only eat one thing. And that's why you sometimes just find them on one tree.
4: Right. Yeah. It was just kind of interesting because there's a, there's three or four, there's a Meyers lemon there. Mm-hmm. And then there are two, um, there's an Owari there, and they don't—they're not seeming—they don't seem to get on those. Just the kumquat.
1: Yeah, well, if that—that is indeed is what it is, they may show up at different time on different citrus. Um, okay. If it's the leaf cutter ants, they just haven't found them yet.
4: Do they now? Those. The caterpillars? Do they live down in the dirt and then just crawl up and eat? In night, see, last time when I had the caterpillars, they stayed on the leaves yep. and I could actually even see them during the day. And that is, and they would chew away at the leaves.
1: That's typical of citrus caterpillars or other caterpillars. And you may have the oh, one okay. called a woolly bear, big old. Uh, covered with a brown or black kind of a hairy-looking spine with orange rings around it. Those guys bury up in the soil during the day, and you will never, ever find them, and then they come out and feed at night, uh, and okay. that could be what you're looking at. But the citrus caterpillar, um, it's going to be out there pretty much
4: 24-7. Okay, I have one more question real quick, and this one will be easy. Is it too um, late to start propagating uh, hibiscus? If I still have some of the woody stem.
1: As long as you get the woodier stems, yes, you can still propagate hibiscus.
4: All right. Thank you.
1: Good questions, Kim. You have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. All right. Back to the phone lines. And we start with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, sir. I have a, a couple
0: of questions here. Uh, we're interested in, in, I'm interested in doing a succulent slash cacti garden. Okay. And uh, I need to, I need to, Make sure that I get the the correct ones for the ground that will be maybe two to three uh, uh, feet in height in mm-hmm. ground, and the other ones, the little colorful ones that we see at a lows, I'm sure they don't last outside. They would. We were, were thinking of putting some, you know, three or four varieties in a pot, and if it gets real, real cold or frost, we would bring in the pot into the shed. But the other or five plants which stay in ground. So can you guide me here, please?
1: Well, you you need to be buying from somebody that knows plants and knows which ones are cold-hardy and which ones aren't. Um, Is the area that you're planning to grow these very sunny? Yes, it is. Okay, that's good, because otherwise I was going to tell you you have to find somewhere else. But the principal things that you're going to look for Um, in, in hardy succulent plants that will do well, um, there are true yuccas and most all of them, uh, and, and the sizes can range from very low to very tall. The biggest ones are the ones they call the graveyard daggers that have the giant white flower spikes on them now Uh, the smallest ones will grow maybe 18 inches or so and the varieties are numerous Um, there are many agaves which we also call century plants that uh, will survive outside a few of them the blue agaves the the tequila agave things like that they won't take the cold but most of the agaves will do well here and you need to be dealing with somebody that can tell you which ones will stay to a smaller size you don't want the ones that get to be 10 feet across but most of the agaves are going to be good there is a plant which is called a red yucca. It is not actually a yucca. Technically, it's something called hesperalo. But red yucca comes in a couple of different colors. Uh, It is a beautiful, low, succulent plant. The foliage gets about 18 inches tall, and then the flower spikes will reach about three feet, and they bloom pretty much through the spring and early summer. The most common form is salmon color, but there's also a beautiful yellow one. There's one that's a much more intense red called brake lights. But red yucca is another plant that I would certainly include in that succulent garden if you're looking for things that will sort of spread out and cover the ground without getting too tall uh there are many many species of a of a little plant we call a sedum s-e-d-u-m That's just going to spread out and cover the ground and virtually every one of those are cold hardy and you're going to have a choice about 15 20 different varieties of sedum that you could plant uh, that will be cold hardy now the final thing that i'm going to try to steer you away from a little bit are cacti because most of them get too big most of them uh, they're a little bit more prone to problems with staying too wet now you know how to water but mother nature may have other ideas and if it rains every day for a week your cacti will suffer uh your agaves and and yuccas probably will not but if you want to grow the cacti Uh, Be sure that you get the spiny types, because those are going to be the most cold-hardy. And be sure that you get ones that aren't going to get too large, because they can... It's hard to prune a cactus back. It's dangerous work, so to speak. And if you've never really worked with cacti, it's not the big spines that are the most treacherous. And you're talking to a guy that spent parts of three summers in wildlife management in West Texas, wildlife management Mm -hmm. area, and I've been stuck by every cactus in the world. But there's a nasty little Cactus thorn at the base of those bigger spines, they are called glochidia And those things will deal you just untold mystery. The only uh, misery, the only way you get them out is with a piece of real sticky tape that you rub over the area and then rip out, taking hair and everything else along with it. So I'm going to steer you away from uh, cacti, but uh, the others are all really good plants. If you want to be doubly protective of having them grow well create a little raised bed or sort of a berm where it's raised up so even in a really wet weather period uh the the water will drain away from them but those are going to be you know things that should do very well for you there are literally hundreds of other succulent plants uh and just way too numerous to even start talking about that you can grow in your pots and then just uh, haul them inside when it gets really cold but uh does that give you some help as to what to look for
0: okay i, I got it for the in-ground for the little pots that, that i was talking about you said i could use spiny cacti oh yeah some of the you can
1: use all so kinds of cactus. Um, uh, yeah, There are just many other succulents. There's uh, a group of them which are called Haworthias, H-A-W-O-R-T-H-I-A. Uh, there are a large number of them which are called Crassulas, Crassula, C-R-A-S-S-U-L-A, um, that would be very pretty in there. There are a large number of different kinds of Kalanchos, other than the big flowering ones we grow as houseplants, but uh, K-A-L-A-N-C-H-O-E, uh, you're going to find a lot of those. Um, oh, golly, there's still some other sedums that uh, would be beautiful in those pots. Um I, again, if you go to a good nursery, you're probably going to have your choice of a 100 or more different kinds of cacti and succulents that we'll do in those pots. It's an interesting hobby okay. to get into. You just all of a sudden, at one point, I lived in an apartment with a balcony that had 300 different kinds of succulents growing on the rail and everywhere else. So be aware this is an addictive habit. But uh, on the other hand, you you can find a lot of fun stuff to grow, and in pots you can pretty much grow it all very successfully, so long as you have super bright light.
0: Can I feed them? Has to grow I yeah. use for my yeah, that's what we
1: use on them. That's what we use on them, and okay. it's perfect.
0: Okay, and I'm gonna move a gutter or a spout away from that garden area. We use it because we have flowers, but uh, if we're gonna go into this uh, succulent area, I mm-hmm. guess I'm gonna reroute that so the water doesn't come off the gutters and go into that area
1: it'd probably be a good idea but now if you do create a raised bed or a berm in that area the water's not going to be an issue
0: yeah yeah thank you
1: so much i appreciate it oh my pleasure joe i appreciate the call all right back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines it's liz's turn good morning liz good morning bob
3: how are you
1: doing i'm well how can i help you today
3: well, I'm calling cool because uh, I've had a problem with my uh,
1: front yard.
3: I have an area that gets a lot of sun, and I've always had the grass that don't look green. Right now, it's all totally brown.
1: Well, a lot of that, Liz. I'm having a little hard time understanding you on the speakerphone. Be better if you get off that. But most of our grasses have really not started growing yet this year. My yard, uh, other than the weeds, is basically brown because the Bermuda grass just isn't coming out. Do you know if that's what his basic grass is? Are you there? Uh, hello? Yeah, yeah, that's much better. I, do you know if he ha, if his yard basically Bermuda, or is it St. Augustine? Do you know what sort of grass he has? I
3: don't really know that much about the grass. And, and when I moved here, you know, I, I wasn't told too many things about the trees or the grass. Mm-hmm. But uh, all I know is that it's all brown, and I've already used that uh, Scottsweed and feed the purple bag.
1: See, that's a and, horrible uh, product to use.
3: And uh. I've used uh, ironite. Yes. Also.
1: You're not listening and to me, Liz. You're using the I'm wrong sorry. products. You're using the mm-hmm. wrong products. Ironite is full of all sorts of toxic things. Scott's Weed and Feed is full of products that are known to cause cancer. So, I, you know, I, I'm, and I, I had somebody in the nursery yesterday that said he felt like he had killed his whole yard with weed and feed. So, uh, these are not the things that I'd be recommending that you put on the grass. Now, um, Since we don't know what kind of grass it is and don't know what's wrong with the grass... You're probably going to need to dig up just a little three-inch square sample of grass and take it to a real nursery, not a box store selling poison, um, and find out what kind of grass it is. If it is Bermuda grass, it's just too early for it. Provided that the weed killer didn't kill the grass along with things, um, it will come out. My yard is basically Bermuda grass. My Bermuda has not started greening up. We just haven't had enough hot weather. Uh, to get the good grass started, so first thing we've got to do is figure out what kind of grass it is, and he can determine that by taking it to a a good nursery. What what part of uh, town does your son live in?
3: Uh, I live on uh, the Disa and Babcock area.
1: Okay, take it over to uh, Rainbow Gardens over on uh, off of uh, Babcock, or off of uh, Bandera Road. They're going to okay. be your closest real nursery, and. Um, find out whether it is bermuda or zoysia or saint augustine if it is bermuda or zoysia it probably just hasn't started coming out but that stuff Mm -hmm. you put on it for weed and feed that kills a lot of grass as well so you may have really damaged the yard by putting that on it don't don't ever do it again use one of the Mm -hmm. good organic products from uh, nature's creation or bedina or maestro grow um I, I, you know, if it is a problem, like it was at St. Augustine grass, you could have some dead grass from grubworm damage last year, but, um, uh the, the first thing, we need to find out what kind of grass it is, and we need to find out if it is still alive, and it probably is. Grass is just late getting started this year. The weeds are beautiful because they like cool weather. Our, oh, grasses, yeah. Yeah, our grasses don't really start growing until the soil warms up, and that hasn't happened yet. We're going to be in the 30s uh, in the hill country tonight, in the very low 40s in San Antonio, and it's just Easter's late this year. The warm weather is late arriving and it's going to be really two weeks before the grass even starts to green up and grow. Now, some of the grasses like the St. Augustine come out sooner than the Bermudas. So, uh, um let's let's first of all figure out what kind of grass it is and then i can give you some help uh on on you know figuring out what to do to get it green
3: so so do i take the dry uh, yeah uh, dig grass up a little four know. inch
1: four inch square sample and rainbow gardens on bender roads can be your closest real nursery and they'll tell you what it is